0: In order to understand what John is telling us about, first of all, let's get a little clarification. What is the world? He says don't love the world. What is the world? If he says not to love it, we ought to understand what it is, right? So love not the world. What's the meaning of the world? There's at least three different meanings of world in the scriptures. First of all, you might consider the physical world. Acts chapter 17, though, we know that God made the world and all things therein. Do you think that God would then tell us don't love the world? No. We as believers ought to be on the forefront of saying we want to care for our world. Now, there's a lot of other crazy stuff going on, but we, don't, but we ought to be saying, yes, I want to care for the world. I recycled before anybody else ever recycled, I promise you, right? You know, I had a compost pile before everybody else ever talked about it. So we, we understand that the care of nature and the care of what God has created. So he's not telling us, don't love that, don't take care of that, just chop down every tree. That's not what he's saying. Another concept of the world is humanity and mankind. But we know that God the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of who? So God loved us. He loves people. God would not then tell us we ought to hate certain people, would He? No, absolutely not. So He's not talking about the world He created. He's not talking about the world of people. What is this world that He's saying we ought not to love? Well, back in 1 John chapter 2, it's an invisible world. It's a spiritual system. It's contrary to God and His work. Think about when somebody says they want to they talk about the world of sports or they want to talk about the world of religion, the newscast tells you about the world of politics. Don't go there this morning, right? Is that a different planet out there somewhere? That world of sports, is that a different place? No, it's, it's here but it's a different system, isn't it? So when you talk about the world of sports, if it's baseball, you have a certain language, certain rules that you follow, right? You understand. If it's the world of football, it's the world of politics, it's the world of whatever else it is, you know there's a certain system to it, right? A certain way of doing things, a certain way of carrying on the conversation about it. When you're immersed in a system, it takes on a whole vocabulary, a way of life of its own. This world that John tells us not to love is a system. It is a particular system. It is the devil's way of doing things. Don't love that, that way the world operates. You cannot allow yourself to be immersed in it and come to love it. What about some of the methods? As you have said, or perhaps you've heard it said before, there is a method to my madness. There's a a method to the devil's way of doing things, Right? You get that. And he wants to accomplish everything that is unholy, ungodly, unscriptural. Unsaved people are unwitting participants of the system of disobedience. Ephesians chapter 2. They're even called the children of the world, Luke chapter 16. Jesus said, if you were of the world, that's the system of this world. If you you talk like the world, if you act like the world, if you laugh at what the world laughs at, if you engage in that kind of conversation, the world, Jesus said, the world would what? The world would love you. But why doesn't the world love you? Because you're not of this world, right? That's what Jesus was telling his followers. And so the world hates you. Well, this then becomes the message we have to understand. You do not operate by this world system. It will be unfair sometimes. It won't seem right sometimes. Why does the squeaky wheel get to the grease? Why did they get ahead? David, David declared that in the Psalms, right? Why do my enemies seem to get ahead? Why are they that hate the Lord, why do they seem to have the advantage? You've never said that, have you? Oh, yes, you have. Because you play by a different set of rules. You're obligated to a different standard. And even if you could get away with it, you're not going to, because you know that's not where you are. Warren Wiersbe sort of illustrates it this way. If you you were a scuba diver, anybody ever gone scuba diving? Ah, Okay, there's one. Anybody else? Yep. So when you go on, when you stick your head under the water, you know instantly that's not your world, right? But you enjoy it because you've taken all the right equipment with you to enjoy. This is the world we live in. The world we live in is not our own. Now there's a lot of beauty and there's a lot of things we can participate in, but you instantly know this is not your home. You need the equipment. Where do you get the equipment from? Hello? God's word, thank you very much. Right? You get it from the word of God. You you get it from what God has given you to understand to uh, the, the weapons of spiritual warfare. Were it not for the Holy Spirit, you could not survive this environment. When you clearly understand what this world is that John is referring to, then you more clearly understand why we cannot love it. You cannot allow yourself to love it. You will suffocate spiritually. You will die. You'll shrivel up. Lose the joy, as we'll see in just a moment. So what is the consequence? You read on verse 15. Let's go back to it. Verse 15 he says, don't love the world. We know what it is now. We know it's a different system. We don't operate that. But if any man loves the world, what does he say will be the consequence? You love the world? What's not in you? There's a displacement there, right? They're mutually, remember me saying? They're mutually exclusive. So to the extent that you love the world, guess what you don't love? You don't love God. And to the extent that you love God, guess what you will have less affection for? The things of this world. We can't love the world because of what it does to us as believers. It's clear from John's remark at the end of verse 15 that to the extent you love one, the other is not in you. Verse 17, he goes on to say, if you would love this world, right, that's passing away, what are you losing? You're losing out on the will of God in your life. And when you lose the will of God in your life, you're losing the joy of your salvation. You're not following, you're not obeying, you're not doing what God has called you to do. You're losing the joy of your salvation. So as old as human history, we've seen it, you you know it from, from the fall of man. Remember Eve in the garden? Remember that? Where was Adam? Why didn't he say something? Well, so we're not just blaming Eve, but remember Eve in the garden? Remember what happened there? Right? Listen to it, Genesis 3. Eve saw that the tree was good for food, so it appealed to the, you know, an appetite that she had. That makes sense, right? So, so she had this appetite, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it was a tree to make one wise. So she saw something that appealed to her appetite. She saw something that that was good in her eyes, and it would make her wise, according to what the devil said. And so she ate it. Gave it to her husband. He also ate it. Genesis three six, and we see all of that right here in this text. Verse sixteen. Go back to it. For all that is in the world, the what? Lust of the flesh. So, it, so it looked like it would satisfy an appetite. The lust of the eyes. So it looked good. Does the devil ever present a temptation that's ugly? No. It's always good looking. So this this something that would satisfy an appetite, something that was good to look at, and it was the pride of life. It would make one wise, as Eve said or thought, is not of the Father, but is of the world. So we see the appeal, first of all, to the flesh, the f- lust of the flesh. Satan's appeal is always natural to some fleshly desire, but his promise is counterfeit. It never satisfies. Have you ever... Um, you ever been hungry? Now, we don't, we, don't, we don't ever get hungry like some people in the world get hungry. But we might miss a meal and get a little, a little hangry, right? So we want a little something to eat. So if you go out and buy a box of donuts and you eat that box of donuts, does it satisfy for about, what, three minutes, right? And then you start to feel it. And there's something that comes over and you know that it doesn't satisfy. You know it's not the thing that you needed. But you were hungry at the moment. And you grabbed the first snack that you possibly could. And you thought it would satisfy, but it doesn't. And not very long later, you're you're really, really more hungry. This is why Jesus answered Satan's temptation of hunger. A very natural temptation. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds. Why do you? Why do you ever fast? I, well, don't. That's not something you want to answer out loud, is it? That's something you do in the privacy. But that's what fasting is all about. Fasting is all about saying, "I'm gonna, I'm going Every time I feel the the desire to eat, what am I gonna eat? The Word of God. So every time I I am reminded that you know I need a little something to eat, I'm reminded to get back into where the Word of God. Imagine if we had as much appetite for the Word of God as we have for the junk we eat in this world, right? That's the, that's the lust of the flesh. Every tendency to satisfy the flesh is negative. Romans 7, 18, no good thing, right? It's nothing. It's unprofitable, John 6. It makes you weak, Philippians 3, which is why Paul said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't make any provision for the flesh and the lust thereof. Well, the appeal of the flesh, second device of the world, is the attraction of the eyes. Again, lust. But this time it comes to the gateway of the mind, the eyes. Satan's first temptation was there to the eyes. Satan continues to use things that are the pleasure of the beholder. Remember Achan? Uh, Joshua? Remember Joshua? Joshua, the battle of Jericho, right? You with me on that? Okay. He is on a march, right? He is, he is not going to be defeated. You've seen what just happened, but Achan. What did Achan do? He saw a little something, right? He thought, well, what's the, what's the harm with having a little bit of that gold, that little wedge of gold? He just, a little bit, it didn't look so bad. That garment, oh, that just, that was finding some silver. That's all. Little, Just one garment, a little bit of silver, and a wedge of gold. That's all, and he saw it. And he just couldn't help himself, and he took it, right? Hit it in his tent, and it stopped Joshua and the whole thing right in his tracks. There at the battle of Ai. Well, Satan continues to use things that, appeal to us the system of this world is tailor-made for the attraction of the eyes what's every what does every uh, advertisement that you hear where does it try to get you right that's what you're seeing that's the first thing that's, that's this world is tailor-made for the temptation of the eyes here's a couple of verses you might pray psalm 101 verse 3 Psalm 101, verse 3, it says simply, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I might see it in passing, it might cross my path, but I'm not going to grab it and put it in front of me and think about it. Psalm 101, verse 3, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. Psalm 119, a very lengthy chapter, down in verse 37. Turn away mine eyes from beholding vanity. The thing I think is going to satisfy. Lord, just please help me not to gaze on it, look at it. Think about it. Ponder it. Third device of the devil is the attitude of pride. You see it there, verse 16. The pride of life literally, is the bo- literally, literally reads the boastful pride of life. We like to boast about it. We like to brag about it. We like to let people know, you know, I'm, I, you know. That's the attitude of pride. Pride is a word used to describe a braggart who's trying to impress people with his importance. You remember earlier in 1 the, in, in the John, we saw that phrase, uh, if a man says. Well, that's, that's just setting him up for, if a man thinks he has something, if a man thinks he's of importance, and you just got to let people know, not just keeping up with the Joneses. This is, this is be even beyond that. It's the guy that says, I got to have, not just what you have, I got to have bigger. I've got to have better. I've got to have more. That's the boastful pride of life. By the way, this system of the Christian life that we live is not to the glory of man, but to the glory of who? Glory of God. Right? First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether you eat, drink, buy a new car, get a new house, a bigger apartment, do all to the what? Glory of God. We're warned not even to boast of tomorrow, Proverbs twenty seven. Don't even boast of and James told us the same thing. Don't even boast of tomorrow. Because he says, all such rejoicing is what? It's hard. Remember what he said? Don't boast of that because all such rejoicing is. It's evil. It's even beyond vanity. It's evil. Because whose plans are they? Whose thoughts were they? Whose ambitions were those things? Well, the saddest, most miserable group of people in the world are Christians let me finish that trying to maximize the world as a consequence they're losing joy of a world that is to come because as Jesus said you can't maximize both can you because you're either going to do what love one and hate the other right or else vice versa he goes back to that so there's this contrast, this contrast of the world. We cannot love the world because of who we are as believers. In contrast to the world, first of all, who are we? Now we're going back to verse 12. Kind of took it in reverse a little bit. We're children of God. right? right into your little children. These are just newborn ones. These are believers because your sins have been forgiven for the sake of Jesus, for the name of Jesus. It refers to all believers regardless of age whose sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. And if if children, then heirs. And if heirs, then we are heirs, joint heirs with Christ. Romans 8. The fact that we are in the family of God should discourage you from acting like children of the world. Whose family are you part of? Whose family are you part of? Whose family do you act like? You ever, you ever seen a child who is an embarrassment to the parents? Right? You don't even want to even claim them. Would God at some time not even want to claim us because of the way we've acted, the attitude we've expressed, the thoughts we've had? Whose family are you a part of? Well, the fact that we are in the family of God should discourage us from acting like children of the world. Not only does friendship with the world make you less like God, but James went so far as to say it makes you the enemy of God. Not just less like God. It makes you the enemy of God. Remember, mutually exclusive. Well, John then mentions three kinds of Christians. You see it there, the fathers, the men, and the children again. But these children are just the immature ones. Fathers, you're seeking good. I've written unto you fathers, verse 13, repeated in verse 14, because you have known him that's from the beginning. I'm, I'm writing unto you. These are the immature ones, right? These ones who have been around for a while. <laughs> you look in the mirror lately, right? That's us, right? So, so these are the ones. That, these are the guys that have been around for a while. This knowledge is the experience that can only come with years. Some people are mature beyond their years because they spend a lot of time in God's word, and most of us, we just become mature over time. Hopefully, we've learned some lessons. Hopefully, we've made some changes. Hopefully we're a little different than we were as young men. Believe you me, the longer you live in relationship to Jesus Christ, the more you understand about the dangers of this world. You say it to young people and they don't get it. They don't understand it yet, but you've been there, you know it. So he writes to us. We who have been around, we who've seen some things, experienced some things, perhaps learned some very difficult lesson. The mature man understands this danger. He knows how easily his testimony could be ruined. He could fall back into sin. No person who has ever tasted and seen that the Lord is good ever has an appetite for the junk of this world. It is displaced by the things of God. Well, next John writes unto young men. I call them men of greatness, right? So these fathers of goodness, the men of greatness, conquerors, overcomers. These are the very young, ambitious men that are spending young men that are spending time in the Word of God, young men that you know want to serve God, young men. Like that young testimony of a missionary, the young man that comes and gives a testimony to your church. The young men that are so very active. We sometimes say, Why is the why is youth right it's because we wish we had a little bit of that so they're so young they're so ambitious they they want to serve the lord they have fought the battles with the armor of god they know what that means ephesians 6 they know how to wield the sword of the spirit which is what it's the word of god they know how to use it yet they're still young men strong enough to draw the sword right In sharp contrast to the world, they're alert, they're vigilant because they know what? They know that the adversary of the devil is like a roaring lion. He's walking about seeking whom he may devour. So that young father isn't willing to let his children be consumed by the world. The young mother isn't willing to give up her children to the stuff of this world. And so they're still young and ambitious and after the things of God. But at any stage of life, at any stage of life, we find immaturity, whether it's old men set in their ways, or whether it's young men who react impetuously. And we see these, that's the ones he's referring to at the end of verse 13. I'm writing unto you little children. You could be an old man, you could be a young man, man or woman, at whatever stage of life, and you might still be a little child. Because you haven't learned the lessons. These are the immature ones. right? Child of God, you've been around for whatever time, whatever experience, but there's still an immaturity about you. That's who's, who he's writing to there, the, the young ones, the children, people who need to grow in the Lord. I suppose all of us could touch on this a little bit. No, but if at any point we ever say, say or think to ourselves, I've got this. Huh, really? You, you mean tell me there's no room for growth in your life? And the more we grow, the more we understand what? The more I need. The less I do know. The only thing I think I've ever come to understand is what I don't know. That's, you know, just, there's just so much more. To respect the Lord more than this world is the beginning of knowledge, right? But fools despise wisdom and instruction. They don't think they need it. They don't think it's for them. It's for the old. It's for the children. It's for somebody else. It's not for me. The point at which you stop growing is the point at which the devil begins to blur the lines between good and evil. That flip side, those mutually exclusive things. And you begin to think to yourself, oh, that'll never happen to me. I know what you're saying, preacher, but it's different in my life. We start thinking those kinds of thoughts. What is the challenge? What is the challenge we face? We must not love the world because it stands in direct opposition to everything we say we believe. Everything we say we believe. The world, you may not believe this. You you may think, what's, preacher, what are you talking about? The world is in complete opposition to everything you say you believe. It will swallow you up it will ruin your family, it will take your children, it will ruin your life, if at first you begin to doubt that the devil really is all of that well we must not love the world, it stands in direct opposition, I'm just going to give you a few little illustrations, for example time versus eternity, you see it there at the, verse 17 the world is what, passing away, the lust thereof, all these things we talked about, that are, but he that does the will of God abides forever, time now versus eternity to come verse 17 the world is passing away paul wrote i reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us are you convinced of that or you're not quite sure the devil is all that and he's not really after me and it's not really going to ruin me i think i can handle this it's not a big deal believers have to keep a light grip a light grip on the stuff of this world and be ready to exchange it for things that are yet to come. Only one life, we say, you've heard that, will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Just a light grip on the stuff of this world. It's a constant challenge to make the eternal choice and not take matters immediately into our own hands. That's the natural way. I can handle this. I got to do it. For all the world may have to offer, its pleasures of sin are for how long? A season, Just short-lived. When you live for eternity, so many other things find their proper place. Remember what Jesus said in that great sermon, Matthew 6, 5, 6, and 7. Matthew 6, the end of chapter 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of... Seek first the kingdom of God. When? First. First seek the kingdom of God. And then all these... What things? things you're worried about, what you're going to wear, where you're going to live, the job you're going to have, then all these things that you're so worried about that you think you have to take care of, they'll be cared for. They'll find their place. Seek first the kingdom of God and his rights, and then all these things, all these things. will be added. in the martyr Jim Elliot. Remember, do you know that story, the tip of the spear maybe, or some other book that you've read that about that? Martyr Jim Elliot, right? They flew in, they landed, right? He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. You know that phrase, right? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Another challenge in this world is just right versus wrong. So time versus eternity, then right versus wrong. That's the will of God. You see it there at the end of verse 17. It's not simply a choice of good and bad, of dark and light. Of uh, an image with horns and, uh, you know, something soft and cuddly. If it were that sort of good and bad, you'd probably be able to, well, well, I better stay away from that, right? You'd, You'd probably get that. You'd probably be able to say, no, that's not for me. I don't want that. What is this right and wrong about? Remember this. The good may be the enemy of the what? The best is every good thing God's will for you. Hmm. See, that's when we have to, the wheels start turning. Now, right? I've got to start asking myself the question: Not just is this good or bad? Is this right? Is this right for me? Is this what God wants for me? Is this His will for me? We're talking about doing the will of God. That's what abides forever. And so, whatever age you are in life. When's the last time you asked yourself the question, not can I afford it, but is this God's will for my life? Is this what God wants for us? Is this what God intends? Not just can I afford it, but is it what God wants? Right versus wrong. It may be wrong for you. It might be right for somebody else. To understand that it It doesn't have to have an evil connotation to take you out of the will of God. It may just be that it has appealed to me. I think it's a really great thing. It's not sinful. God never said don't do it. And so I jump ahead and I do it and I end up out of the will of God. Because I never stop to ask myself the question. God, is this what you want for me? Simply because you can is not good enough. In fact, it may be very wrong for you. Well, final challenge. Is this versus that. You look at two different things. If God wants us to know his will, and he does, how do I determine it's this and not that? And I'll give you just three or four things. May I do that? Then we'll close. Number one is surrender. It begins with surrender. God does not reveal his will to the curious, but to the committed. See, we live in the land of show me, and I might do it. God says, love me, and I'll show you. We got it all backwards. We want God to show us his will. Then I'll figure out whether or not I want to do it. We may not say that, but that's, that's the direction we're at. Do you love God enough to know, to be able to say, I know what God wants is best. I don't know what it is, but I know what God wants for me is best. God, I love you. Begin to show your will to me. Reveal your will to me. Because we tend to go off on the fleshly things Things we think we can figure out, we got to, you know, we can do it, we, we can manage this and we take off on it on our own to stop and say, Lord, is this, is this your will for my life? Surrender. And then another one you might look at is circumstance. So you come down the line and you're not, not going to put a whole lot of weight on this, but circumstance, not too heavily in dependence on it, but there's a confirmation that comes. God, I believe you called me like a missionary. Okay. God, I believe you called me to the mission field. Okay then you're looking for some confirmation of that, right? So they go off on deputation, raising support, trying to get people, and people begin to see it in their eyes. They be, you, they're getting that response, right? These are circumstances. I've shared my testimony, and people began to respond. That's the confirmation sometimes that we get. So surrender to the will of God. I don't know what it is, but God, God, whatever you want from me, I will follow, I will obey. You lead me, guide me. And so you surrender then to the circumstances of life that begin to lead, not too heavily on that, but then... Ask God by His Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You've been baptized into the family of God, right? By the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You do that often through prayer. If you can't gain peace, you say, Well, God, I've surrendered to you. Well, God, I think this is what you want me to do. It seems to be, we call that an open door sometimes. God, what is it you want me to do? And we begin to walk through it. And I've prayed about it, but I just can't get any peace about it. And so I just, I've prayed, I've asked the Lord... Is this what you want from me? And I just can't seem to get any peace about it. He said, no, I guess I better not. Maybe we walk away from it. Dear Christian, you are in the world physically, but you're not of the world spiritually. You ask yourself different questions. You approach circumstances in a different way. Are you going to live for things that are now or things that are forever? Paul illustrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, 3, yeah, I won't look at it now, but 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he illustrates it with, two kinds of building material. Remember those? Wood, hay, stubble. What happens to those? They're gone. I've said this before, I'm sure it takes about an hour for the average home to to burn to the ground. Everything you have in life can go up like that. Wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, precious, stone. Those things are what, that's what lasts forever. So two kinds of building. Jesus talked about two different kinds of Foundations. What are you building your life on? The sinking sands or the solid rock, right? Two different kinds of building material. Two different kinds of foundations. John said, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, for all that's in the world. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. It's not of the Father. Who's it of? It's of the world, it's of the devil, and probably your desires, because it's so, so easy. It's so easy to say, well, that must be because that feels good, right? feels right. Let's do it. Do you want to know eternal life? Do you want to know the joy of serving the Lord? It's only in the name of Jesus that we serve. It's only in the name of Jesus that we're saved. Some of us are miserable, miserable people because we say we're saved. But we've never once asked ourselves the question, God, is this what you want me to do? Whatever stage I am in life, you cannot now say, well, I've done my part. You can't do that. Because at the moment you say that, the joy of the Lord starts to go like this. No. You still want the joy of the Lord, right? God, is this what you want me to do? Is this where you want me to go? Is this who you want me to talk to? And so those conversations that are random at Wawa, those those opportunities you have at work, or those opportunities along the way in the store or other places, You now begin to have them because you realize that God is at work in your life. And maybe, maybe there's someone that's among us today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Because I don't want to take it for granted, right? Just because you're in church on a Sunday morning when you get to be doing a hundred other things. So I don't want to take it for granted. But do you understand that you're in a world that is going to drag you into the pit of hell? Unless you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you're never going to be able to overcome it. You'll drown like the scuba diver running out of air you, you'll, you'll die go to a Christless eternity and you'll never be good enough and Jesus will say depart from me ye to work iniquity I never knew you you don't know me you're not of me you're not of the world do you know Jesus do you know my Jesus do you continue to ask yourself the question God is this what you want for me is this what you want me to do Is this where you want me to go? Is this who you want me to talk to? You continue to ask yourself that question. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you lead and guide us in each and every circumstance of life. Thank you, Lord, for this warning about the world. We don't hate people. We don't hate creation. We hate the devil's business, and we're not going to do the devil's bidding. We're going to take a stand. We're not just going to determine the things we hate. We're going to focus on the things we love the things that draw us closer to you, the things that bring us closer to our ultimate goal, that is to honor and to please you in all things we say and do. Lord, if there's someone here today that's never accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, may they they come to the realization today that they're lost, that they need you. They need to ask you to forgive of their sins, come in their life, save them, change them from the children of this world to the children of life and light in Jesus Christ. And I pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, and amen. If that's-